You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. I'm going on a ten week, twelve thousand kilometer, fifty plus river fishing trip up to the Arctic. Wow! And I'm leaving in August. So, yeah, I've been working on this for quite a while, and I'm pretty excited about that. So. No, how how do you even begin to plan something like that? Where do you start? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big one. You got to figure out where you're where you're going to go first of all. So I I that was the first thing. I spent probably several months just planning the exact route that I wanted to go. Now I've traveled, uh, I would say, literally ninety nine point five percent of the, the major highways in BC and almost all the highways in the Yukon. Now on this trip, I want to make sure that I get that other half a percent of the roads I have not been on. So I planned my route so that I can take these little extra side roads just to say that I've done 100% of the, the, the major highways and secondary highways in BC. And a lot of those places happen to be by some pretty interesting rivers to fish in. So um, I started making a, a spreadsheet of all the, the, the locations, exactly where I was going to be, when, which rivers I was going to fish in, you know, where I was going to camp, how many hours a day I'm going to be driving. And um, I, I made it so that I could actually pick up my brother. He's flying in from Winnipeg to Whitehorse. He's going to meet me there after a month of me winding my way up to the Yukon. And then we're from there, we're going to go up to the Dawson City. And then from there, we're going to head up to the, 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 uh, the Dempster Highway to Inuvik and Tuktoyaktuk right on the Arctic Ocean. And there's a lot of rivers to fish in that area, rivers and creeks that I probably are unnamed. Uh, as soon as I see a body of water that's flowing, I'm stopping to fish it. It's as simple I, as that. And, and I'm going to record all of it. It's going to be on my YouTube channel. It's, it's, it's going to be there. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies, ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euronymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Well, welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We're really happy you are choosing to join us. We are going to head out to the valley, the Fraser Valley, 
Uh, Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Karsten Arnold on the line. Karsten is a fine art photographer. I was checking out his work before we hopped on and just some beautiful pics. He's also happens to be an avid fly fisher. We met some months back and have been looking to do this for a while. First off, Karsten, thanks for coming on the program. I really appreciate your time. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. So let's let's cover some water. Let's cover some ground to start things off. I always like to take a little journey into kind of memory lane as to maybe how fly fishing first showed up in your world. Um, take us down that road. When did you first start kind of throwing a fly around? Well, gee, it was a long time ago. I started fly fishing uh, the Bow River in Calgary back in the 70s. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, the Bow was an easy place to learn to fly fish as there was, you know, a lot of decent access and, and plenty of room to cast a fly for a beginner. And it took me a few years to, you know, to learn how to 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 fly fish properly. But, you know, I had so much room to back cast there. It was great because there's no trees. It's just prairie. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a decent place to fish. I mean, even in the middle of the city, you can be fly fishing. There are some decent sized rainbows, you know, about a pound or two and, you know, even a few Rocky mountain whitefish now and then. So a real pretty place to uh, learn how to fly fish for sure. So how, how old would you have been roughly back then? Um, are we talking teenage years here or younger? Oh gosh. Yeah. So I'm, I just turned 65 this year. So how long ago was that? You know, I was, uh, <laughs> probably in my, yeah, I was in my twenties, uh, for sure when I was living in Calgary. Yeah. Well, how was the fishing on the bow back then? I mean, it's, it's epic now, but I'm sure it was even more epic in the seventies. You know, you know, access actually was really quite good there. You could just about go anywhere, uh, you know, whether it be right in the city itself or just outside of town. There was no, you know, no trespassing signs or nothing. You just, if you saw a dirt road, you did wound up with a river, you just went down and you started fishing. Nobody gave a darn about that. So hmm. it was kind of the, sort of the heyday, I think, you know, well, you know, back in the seventies, no one really cared that much. So talk to me about, you mentioned before we kind of jumped on this call that you're originally from Manitoba, been mm-hmm. in, you know, British Columbia for some time. And it sounds like you made your way out, uh, kind of slowly keep coming West, but, um, how did you come to end up in Calgary? Uh, kind of a long story there with my folks, kind of followed my folks out a little bit and, uh, when they split up. I just wound up staying there and, um, you know, lived there ever since, uh, or lived there for actually for 14 years. And then I uh, got married there and moved out to Vancouver and, uh, stayed here now ever since out in the Fraser Valley. So hmm. if, if you had to look back and, as to kind of when your journey started, um, on the bow, could you throw a few names at us? Like who kind of got the stoke going? Like, is there somebody that you learned from kind of mentored, you know, um, describe that and what that looks like. Yeah, no, there was nobody really that was mentoring me. It was just, I was always into fishing. My, my folks were always into fishing. We did, you know, fishing up in uh, Northern Manitoba and, and I really got the bug as a kid. I don't even remember a time that I didn't fish. We were always out in the bush somewhere and my folks uh, were German and they always had to be out in the bush somewhere and, you know, look for bears and that kind of thing. So, you know, I was sort of raised, uh, you know, to go camping all the time. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved to Calgary, there wasn't really a, a whole lot of camping, you know, in around that area. So I just kind of naturally migrated back to going fishing again. And, uh, and I discovered fly fishing. I don't even know where I, I, I learned, you know, uh, to want to even do that in the first place. It just seemed like a, a, a cool thing to do. And then, of course, you know, you go fly fishing, you rarely get skunked compared to, you know, throwing a lure around. 
So, um, yeah, it was, it was just an awful lot of fun. There was no one real particular person. I mean, there are now more than, uh, than ever. Cause I, you know, I'm always learning. I always want to know, you know, what, what the new techniques are and who's actually out there, um, you know, uh, you right. know, teaching this sort of stuff. So it's more now that, uh, uh, I've been doing it for many years that I actually care about you know, who's out there. That's interesting. I can kind of relate to that a little bit. And there's so many sources out there. So if you looked at like who's inspiring you now, is there is there you know a certain fly fisher out there? You're like this is this is kind of how it should be done, or or when it comes to entomology, like where are you learning uh, your props now? Would you say? Well, I would say um, one of the the biggest um, you know um, teachers for more the the best teachers for me is, is Tom Rosenbauer from the Orvis Fly Fishing School. Um, yeah. you know, he's kind of around my same age and, and he just sort of speaks my language and he's an easygoing kind of guy. And, and, uh, I mean, gosh, he's got so many shows out there and, and it's just so easy to follow him. And, and I just learned quite a few different things. I mean, fly fishing for over 40 years, you can still learn a whole lot. Yeah. Just learning his techniques and, you know, he's, he's a, he's a tire as well. So, uh, you know, learning his stuff and yeah. it's just, it's kind of fun to watch him because he goes in such great locations. Yeah, he, I love his laid back kind of chill attitude too. I think that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, So and what, he also works with us. Sorry, with uh, this Pete Kutzer guy, who's a, a fly, you know, instructor or casting instructor as well. So I right. pick up a few tips from him now and then as well. What, what about your tying? When did you first come to start uh, hitting the bench? <laughs> well, that's a funny story. Uh, you know, actually, I bought equipment probably oh gosh, thirty, forty years ago, just a, a basic vice and and uh you know some tools and whatnot but i never really got into it too much back then but uh, uh last year i was out um, in the bella coola valley fishing and i had my fly uh, vest with me and i had all my flies in it and stupid me i left my vest on the on the side of the uh, stream and uh, i didn't discover until about seven hours later and about 80 kilometers down the road in a campground that I actually left my vest there. Oh man. So I went tearing back and, uh, I found somebody that actually knew someone that picked up my vest and I go, Oh great. So we exchanged phone numbers and long story short, three days later, I get my vest back without my flies in it. So I'm going, Oh great. So someone had pinched the flies and I'm, you know, I'm trying to blame them, but it was my own stupidity. So then I figured, you know what, if those flies, I mean, it was like about six, 700 bucks for the flies are gone. Right. Yeah. And, um, I didn't tie any of those. I bought all those myself. So then that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to tie my own flies, but boy, was I ever wrong. You do not save money tying your own flies. (laughs) 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 You spend a lot of money on, on all the the gear and stuff, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. So, um, that's kind of my fly tying story, the beginning of that. And it's just only been a year and, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. What's really cool about that is it, for me, it really completes the circle. You know, it, it kind of ties everything back. It, uh, cause then you can kind of tie based on your experience. Cause it, for me, whatever you're seeing on the water, let's say you're seeing a damselfly, you're probably right. seeing it differently than maybe that recipe in a book or, those everyday patterns and to me when you kind of put your spin on it that's kind of exciting right yeah it is actually um you know i, I started taking some uh, lessons some basic lessons at the uh, local fly tying place or the fly shop here 
um, great place. I'll talk about them in a bit, but um, <clears throat> picked up all my equipment from those guys and uh, just started tying bully buggers for the first time. And I, I'm a bully bugger fanatic. I mean, there's so many variations of these things. And mm-hmm. um, just recently I caught a bunch on my own flies, which is kind of a cool experience. You know, it, like you say, it kind of completes that circle, right? So now you're uh, you're catching stuff with your own handmade stuff, and it's 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 pretty exciting. You want to hear something funny? A few years ago, I was well, I guess not. That, it wasn't that funny to me at the time, but I, I tie all winter long like crazy. I get rabid at the vice in the winter because there's nothing else right. to do for the most part. But then, <clears throat> the first time we went out, Karsten, I had like this huge box, almost like a suitcase of flies, and we just go to the local <laughs> river just to kind of wet a line and see what works, and just kind of work the cobwebs out. I got in my truck, I drove home, and I realized I left the whole box of flies on, oh, on the side of the river. And I did the oh, same no. thing as you, man. I went, I, I drove back as fast as legally possible. And fortunately, they were still there because it was a little bit kind of off the beaten path. But man, there's a lot of money. Like, it, I try not to think about not just the money, but think of the time, right? Think of how much time you have vested in that fly box. Yeah, I mean, it's like there was sentimental value for me in those flies. Like, I had some of those flies from back in the 70s, like oh, my wow. first original flies. Like, I had some Helgramite flies. I mean, the, the you know, the hooks were rusted a bit, and but it was just kind of cool just to open it up and just to see those and it just reminded you, you know, oh, there's a, you know, a white wolf that I had never used, and it's yeah. just still sitting there from, you know, 1982. <laughs> Well, that, that's what a Royal Coachman looks like, or the, I think an Alexandria or something like that. Exactly, exactly. You may not ever use it, but it's still there, and it just has that sentimental value, and yeah. that just kind of, that hurt the most. I mean, the ones that I bought recently, yeah, you know, you can replace it. It's not a big deal, but, and the boxes themselves had some value to them, or some sentimental value as well. What do you, but, what kind uh, of vice are you tying on? I always like to ask that question. <laughs> oh, Craigie, what is this thing? Um... I just bought this the other day. It's one of those new ones that, um, what the heck is the name of it here? Let me just look it up. I got Let me, I'm going to guess. Some. Is it a Regal? It is not, actually. I was looking at the Regals, and, um, yeah, I got the box in here somewhere. Oh, it's probably a peak. If you're hanging out at that it's shop. It's a peak. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a peak. I know the shop <laughs> you're hanging out. In fact, I, that's the uh, Pacific Rivers Outfitters, right? It's Pacific River Outfitters. Yeah, there's uh, those guys are great over there. I, I was in there. Uh, I just happened to be coming through town. Um, I don't know, maybe a month ago, not even three weeks. And I thought, what the heck? I hadn't been. Out. I used to fish the river uh, back in the day, but I hadn't been there in a long time. And I could not believe the amount of condos and strip malls. And I'm just like, there used to be a little on the way river cafe or something there, where on on the other side of the Vetter Crossing. And I'm like. Yep. Well, there's like a strip mall and a fly club, a fly shop. I'm like, hmm. you know, they just opened that up actually. Yeah, that was a that was an old pub there right on the river. So huh. um, I think it's called the Eddy now. It's um, right on the Chilliwack slash Vetter River there at the bridge. And uh, those guys over at Pacific River Outfitters, I I just can't say enough about those guys. It's yeah. I actually met them at a uh, Chilliwack outdoor show. Ooh, I think it was just the the spring before. I can't remember. It was it, it like six, eight months ago, something like that. Yep. And they said they were going to be opening up and they said it's going to be a whole new concept. I mean, you go into this place and you feel like you're one of the family. They know you by your first name. Every one of the staff knows you. Yeah. They treat you like family. 
there's a living room situation. They've got a leather sofa in there. they got a couple of fly tying benches. You can use either their equipment or bring your own in. They got a whole library of books there and the stuff they got. I mean, they got everything that you can imagine for, you know, for outfitting your yourself and fly fishing and like their clothing lines are great. And they got everything there. Yeah. They, they carry the loop line of, of uh, rods and reels, which is high end stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Great store. Yeah. Amen. I was, uh, I spent some time in there. I actually ran into, I was in there. There's a gentleman from uh, Seattle. He was a guide down there and he's like, I was talking and he goes, I recognize your voice. <laughs> like, really? Oh, yeah. So he, he's got to come on the show, actually. He's he's mostly chasing steelhead and uh, I think coastal cutties, but uh, super good dude. He was on his way to the interior. He goes, I listened to the show. I had these guys on and I thought I'll stop in there on my way to, you know, the Camelops area, which he did. And so we, we exchanged numbers and notes and. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out how he did, but uh, it's a, it, yes. it, it's a small community, a small world, right? You just it doesn't take long. You start running into people and connecting dots. I love it. That's right. I mean, it's a place you can go into and and just shoot the breeze with anybody. It's just amazing who you actually run into over there. The um, the fellow who runs it, the the company manager, and and he's a fishing academy director there, Willie Holmes. Yeah, super guy. I mean, gosh, you you got to interview him as well. He's a character. <laughs> he's on he's on my list. Yeah, he's a, he's quite a guy. Right on. So I want to get uh, to know you on and off the water, Carson. You ready for a few sure. questions to get to know your day to day? Let's talk tunes. So I know you're a river guy first and foremost. So if you're yeah. on your way to your favorite stretch, what's playing on the stereo on on route? Oh, gotta be rock, blues, or chill and ambient. Just something kind of nice and I mean, two total opposite ends of the spectrum. But it's. Um, yeah, it's, if it's not hard rock or blues, it's it's got to be something a little more chill. So. Hmm. Like it, mix it up. Kind of depends on the mood, right? You betcha. Yeah, whether I'm somber or whether I've caught anything or I'm about to catch something. So. <laughs> what's <laughs> you talked about the woolly bugger, but uh, what's one go-to fly pattern that you can't live without? So more often than not, when you open that fly box, what's coming? Probably out? the copper john. Ah, good one. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be a copper John. That's uh yeah, it's probably one of my go tos. That's uh yeah. Probably caught more fish on a copper John and a moly bugger than just about anything. Well they get down there too, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're they're right at the very bottom and so they hmm. yeah, do you, you get those stubborn ones that don't want to rise. How do you fish that? Do you fish that naked? You got an indie on there? What does that look like? Oh, uh, not even sure what an indie is. Oh, sorry, indicator. Like a, oh, a indicator. Site. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's naked. I yeah, I don't do the indicator stuff. That kind of, I watch Tom Rosenbauer do, do that stuff, and I go, oh man, that's just too much work for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, can... I'm into that Euro nymphing uh, style, oh, yeah. so I'll try that with the uh, the Copper John. That's usually quite successful. So, and I do that without uh, the. Indie, you say. <laughs> Are you fishing Pertagons, or what? What are you fishing when you're trying to uh, Euro nymph Copper Johns? Uh, no, just just about any kind of nymph pattern. I'm, you know, I'm not overly fussy about. You know, they say you know match the hatch stuff. I'll just throw anything in there. And honestly, my experience is they don't really care too much. I mean, maybe some days more than others, but. Um, you know, color pattern. Uh, I just, I go through the box, right? I've got my day box that I pull out of my, my big collection of stuff and I just throw everything at them. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's talk where you like to go to talk fly fishing when you're not on the water. You may have already alluded to that, but 
you know, is, is there a coffee shop, watering hole, someone in, in your area that you kind of get your fix when you're not in your waiters? Uh, you know, it, it is, you know, Pacific rivers outfitting for sure. That's kind of my go-to place. Um, it used to be, uh, Fred's custom tackle. I used to go in there and, and, uh, they get so darn busy in there. I mean, they're such a popular shop and, and, you know, for good reason. Um, I've actually had good success, uh, chatting with, uh, one of the old fellows, uh, that, uh, run the, or is in the store in their Abbotsford location at Fred's custom tackle. Mm. I can't remember his name, but uh, I think I've he, had uh, him on. Have you? Oh shoot! Yeah, it's not coming. He to me. outfitted me a couple of years ago with a couple of rods and reels and and uh, some equipment. And man, I tell you, he just he knew his stuff. He was, uh, I'd like to say John, maybe or Don, something like that. Mm. But yeah, no, that's a great shop too. So he, he's been there forever, and he's he was a guide, I think, down in uh, the U.S. somewhere okay. over the years as well. Cool. Um. Are you a sports guy? So um, I always like to talk uh, sports a little bit. You know, if, if you're cheering for your team, what, what does that look like? Yeah, you know, I'm really not much of a sports guy because of my business. I am such a busy guy. I, you know, back in my teens and 20s, yeah, I was I was a big, you know, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers guy, Calgary Stampeders guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you know, I do mind or I don't mind actually going to, uh, you know, some big league games now and then. I'm going to see the Seattle Seahawks in uh, end of October with my son and nice. uh, my nephew and his son. So looking forward to that. Which game is that? Kind of, you know, I don't know who's playing. My okay. son's setting it all up. So it's, I think, October 28th or 29th, uh, whoever's playing them there. So right that'll be interesting. And I've watched, uh, you know, uh, a baseball game down in LA. That was kind of cool to see for the first time. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Other than that, you know, I, I'm not really much uh, for the professional sport. I don't mind actually the the local uh, hockey team here, the um, the Chilliwack team, the Chilliwack um, Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs. I mean, yep. boy, those guys play some great hockey. So that's kind of fun to go with a friend of mine now and then. But yeah, uh, other than that, just you know, with the business and uh, it's just yeah, it just eats up a lot of my time and just can't devote too much to it. Yeah, we'll talk about your business in a minute. I want I want to hear all about that. Um, sure. fill in the blank for me first, uh, when you're not fly fishing, what are you doing? Well, like I said, uh, I run a business, uh, my photography business. So, uh, you know, it's, if it's not, uh, you know, working on that, it's working on videos for the YouTube channel, uh, or we're out hiking or traveling somewhere. We just got back from a three week trip, uh, to Vancouver Island where a little bit of fish in there. So, um, yeah, we, we enjoy our traveling and hiking. So, uh, we get out as much as we possibly can. Love it. How was the fishing on the island when, when you were there? Uh, I did the Englishman River. Uh, no luck there, but boy, that's a pretty river. If yeah. you've never had a chance to get out to the Nanaimo area and, and check out the Englishman River, I do so. It's it's stunningly beautiful. Also around, um, uh, where were we? We were at, um, we were in the Campbell River area uh, just recently. Um up around uh, Elk Falls there. Oh, my gosh, that is stunningly hmm. beautiful country in there. Highly recommend going in there. Did you... Also towards uh, Gold River. Uh, we oh, did the yeah. drive down there, and uh, at towards the end of a the lake there, there's a nice little patch of water. And it was just so crowded with vehicles. I said, I just, I just can't get in there. I, I can't disturb these guys. And I stopped their truck and, and looked at the river, and they just kind of gave me the evil eye. And I thought, okay, I'm heading out of here. But, uh, <laughs> they, they had a spot there that was something else. Yeah. 
Uh, that's kind of cool that you respected that, though. Sometimes I've, I I know exactly what you mean. I'll I'll often take the road less traveled just because I don't really want to be crowded out, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it, I, you know, I just can't believe it. I'll be in this remote location, like uh, a good example. I was in the north end of Dees Lake in the northern part of BC a couple of years ago. Uh, I just can't remember the name of the river. I'm standing in this river, and I, had, I, I was just, you know, hooking up my line and, and, and uh, getting the reel on the rod. And so the rod is under my left arm and I'm, I'm feeling it's raining out. So my hands are wet and I just happened to look up and I just saw a wolf, like a black wolf had just come out of the bush Hmm. and started drinking out of the river right in front of me. And here I'm fumbling with my camera and I, you know, my fingers are wet. My camera was my iPhone at the time. And just as I go to press the button, take a picture of course it, it takes off and i get this picture of a black rear end in a black bush you know so, <laughs> and just as soon as i do that somebody walks in from nowhere and just starts fishing in the same pool not like 15 feet from me i'm going like are you kidding me yeah. like there's this like 300 foot stretch of water and you got a fish right there yeah. <laughs> i just and they didn't even think anything about it you know that's that stuff kind of drives me crazy yeah i feel that Let's talk jobs. Um, I, I do love talking careers on this. Um, mm-hmm. Best job you have had to date? Wow. Best job I've had to date would be the one I currently have now. I am a commercial photographer, have been for the last 14 years now. Uh, I just love the, you know, the independence, getting up in the morning, working, you know, from home. Uh, my My commute is about 10 feet from the bedroom to the office and I got to step over two cats. That's, that's my traffic. That's about it. Um, you know, and I, I, so I'm my own boss. I have my own clients. I can set my own schedule. Um, I can set my own holidays. I can go fishing when I want to. (laughs) It's, I love it. It's, it's been a great career. It's been very rewarding for sure. I always like to visit the flip side on that coin. Mm -hmm. What have you done that you, maybe you don't want to do again oh. <laughs> oh my gosh uh work in the magazine business ah, um, really i was yeah i was a director of it for 14 years for a large magazine publisher and uh just before i started my career as a full-time commercial photographer i left that business um, that's kind of when the magazine industry was really struggling with the whole ad revenue scene, uh, ad sales were taking a nosedive. The internet was kind of coming on strong for advertising and, uh, the company was struggling. So they were losing people. They were laying people off, you know, the mm. sales were, were just dwindling. Um, they had to downsize, you know, from two floors to one floor and, it was just a miserable time. And then the IT industry itself was just so stressful. I mean, uh, hmm. you're always on call and it was, uh, yeah, you're, you're everyone's best friend when, when everything's working well. And then you're, you know, you're the worst enemy when things aren't. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, IT is a, is a tough gig and I'm so glad I got out of that. I, and I never, I never want to go back into that business again, for sure. Especially hmm. in the magazine industry. It was tough. Well, is is the magazine in? It, it's a it's an industry that fascinates me for some reason, and I feel like I was in radio for for quite a few years, and I feel like there's certain businesses out there that kind of had peaked. You know, it's almost like a I call them sunset industries. It's like not every town has 
24-hour radio anymore. Not Magazines don't pop up as much as they used to because of the access, I'm sure, of the Internet. And, and, and yeah. it just, you know, basically you can get your fill a lot of places. It's a very, very competitive space. What was it like to be in that industry and kind of see it kind of shrinking a little bit? Well, it was difficult because, you know, at that time, <clears throat> people were, you know, consuming their, their news or their information they were really starting to take off like 14, 15 years ago. It was, the internet was really taking off then uh, as far as uh, news is concerned and, and uh, real specialty kind of uh, websites like, like fly fishing. For, let's say it was a, a fly fishing magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, are you going to get spoon fed from someone's article? Um, you know, you have to read a specific you know, type of article constantly or see these kinds of ads all the time when you can go to a website and just dial in exactly what it is that you're interested in. So that's kind of, that's kind of where the, the magazine industry started to kind of take a downturn hmm. about 14, 15 years ago when, when people really were, you know, interested in like YouTube, for example, it's big now. I mean, you can find anything on YouTube, but 14, 15 years ago, not so much, right? right. Now it's like everything is there. So why would you want to pick up a magazine? I mean, I see them in the stores. I just kind of just glance, you know, at the covers and and just walk away. There's there's nothing to really look at anymore. Hmm. You know, when I'm going to a doctor's office or, uh, you know, sitting in the tire shop waiting for my tires to get fixed or rotated, whatever, you know, they see a magazine there, you know, four by four magazine or whatever it is, or even a fishing magazine. I'll pick up my iPhone and and thumb through, you know, some YouTube videos instead. It's, hmm. I consume my information in a different way now entirely. And I think, you know, a lot of people are, are moving in that direction now. It's funny. I, I'm guilty of, okay, if, if I'm trying to, let's say I'm researching yourself for an interview and I, Google's always your friend, right? So I, I hit right. Google. But what I find is there's a certain age at which people just aren't on the internet. Like if you go back far enough, um, you know, before the internet, it's like almost like people didn't exist. It's really weird. There's like, I find there's like, it depends yeah. on how old we are. <laughs> there's a real, there's a line in the sand there. There, there is. And I, I find that a lot of people that I deal with in my business are not very tech savvy. Part of my business is uh, restoring old photographs. Cause I'm a, I'm a Photoshop guy I have been since practically day one. So I do a lot of that old photo restoration so the the folks are a lot older mm-hmm. when i'm finished with these files i got to send them the digital files as well they don't even know how to download these things the majority of them right. and it's it's just that age group that is is not tech savvy now i'm a little older i'm i'm 65 but i was involved in the it industry directly so right. i'm really involved in tech Mm-hmm. And with my photography business, with all the software and stuff, I have to be. Yeah. So I actually enjoy it. And, and you know, uh, I excel at, at certain things that, you know, that, that require me, you know, to do those things. Like in Photoshop, for example, I live, eat and breathe that program. I was just going to say, you know your way around Photoshop. <laughs> I have no doubt. Yeah, you, you have to as a photographer these days. That kind of goes hand in hand with, with just taking pictures. Yeah. But now I'm into the whole video aspect as well. So that's kind of taking off. So tell um, tell me about your business. Let's let's jump into that rabbit hole. Um, sure. what, first off, what's the name? Is it just under your name, Carson Arnold, or yeah, it it I used to have it under a different name, Total Three Hundred and Sixty, but then I kind of rebranded a number of years ago and and just called it myself because people didn't care about the name; they cared about me specifically. They're just hiring me. Right. I, I'm I'm the only one besides you know my wife who's you know helping me with the the business as well on the accounting side of things, but. So I rebranded to Karsten Arnold Photography specifically. 
and and basically I'm I'm photographing uh, spaces, places, and objects, things that don't talk back to me. Essentially, <laughs> Are, you know, I used to do years ago. I used to do weddings and people, kids, pets, that kind of thing. But um, you know, it's it's not my style anymore. I really prefer things that just are still and they are what they are. I can manipulate them. I can move them. Uh, and, and they don't sit there and yap at me. <laughs> and I will do, I will do portraits. I've, I've done that for years. And, but yeah. that's if my client who's already hiring me to do architecture or interiors or, uh, you know, buildings or landscape or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, objects, products, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I will photograph their, their headshots if they're asking me to but if someone comes to me and say hey can i do a wedding or or my family pictures i'll go no sorry i'll refer that to somebody else hmm. yeah so if you had to and i like kind of asking artists this in general like i always think of painters a lot of times you'll have kind of one or two paintings that kind of are in your like wow this is this is this is like the holy grail for me the the most the best work that i've done do, do you feel that way about you know, snapshots or pictures that you've taken over the years is like, okay, this is, these are close to me, like some of my favorite work. That's a really interesting question because that's actually a moving target for, for a lot of photographers. They, it, like, so I, I did that aspect of my business, the architecture, interiors, commercial work. That's, that's my bread and butter. That's what I do for a living. What I do that's good for my soul is the nature and the landscape and the sort of the abstract kind of photography that's my own stuff that's that's what i do i'll I'll go out and just purposely do that for entertainment there there is a, a style of photography that you that you get when you first start out in photography and then that gradually changes so if you actually looked at a library of all your images over the years you can see there's a transition of what you like to photograph, the style of photography, the time of day that you go out, where you like to go, that kind of stuff. So, hmm. I mean, I've been photographing for well over 40 years now. So it's like, okay, things have definitely changed. And because I'm in business now, I've, I've actually become quite snobbish about this because if you, if you take that many photographs of trees, after a while you go, why am I taking a picture of a tree unless I can actually get paid to do that <laughs> so <laughs> so so now i do it for art sakes where i can actually sell this online or in a store mm. i mean a lot of people may not do that but because i was in business i thought well i might as well make some money off of this as well so mm. now my style you know has been kind of more on the art side of things because i go into a lot of homes and business i see what art people are hanging on the walls so i kind of get a sense of what it is that people want to, to, to buy. Hmm. So people don't generally buy photographs. They buy art. So you'll see some kind of painted art or there'll be a, a photograph that has been turned into art. So hmm. they've kind of been art artified through Photoshop techniques and that kind of thing. So to have more of like of a painterly kind of look, if you will, or sometimes something that's really abstract. That's kind of become my style lately. So now I'll, I'll want to go out and photograph, let's say, uh, some trees, and I'll do some kind of manipulation to it so that it, you can sort of see that part of it maybe you can actually see what it really is, and part of it is just kind of you know blurried, arted, almost looks like 
someone took you know oil paint and and you know scraped the the canvas that kind of my style is actually still changing i mean i've got some plans for even different styles so it's it's a it's an evolution if you will you know my style of photography and that's what happens if you know you've been taking pictures for so long right so if, if there is a favorite image like now um i would say it's a, a close-up of a of a Icelandic horse that I did in Iceland a number of years ago. Hmm. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's, you'll actually find that one. Just, uh, it's just called Icelandic horse. Um, there's an interesting story about that particular one. If you care to hear it. I do. I'm looking it up right now. Let's jump down that rabbit hole. Sure. You want to see it first? I'm looking Icelandic horse. And then just type my name behind it and you'll find it. I saw one of, uh, bunch of trees it was kind of moss covered uh looked like cedars or something maybe on the island it was pretty cool really artsy mm-hmm. of course okay so you can see that one kind of a oh yeah yeah there it is right there that's cool okay so huh that that's an interesting one because I, I was actually looking just to photograph a bunch of icelandic horses but i wanted to get their eyes because their eyes are so expressive and it's such a beautiful looking horse and what I see in that picture, what it says to me, is it actually speaks to the spirit of that animal. That it just completely encompasses everything there is about that horse. Hmm. It's it's got this unique uh, mane to it. Um, but this particular image, uh, interesting story. I used to have a, a big printer. I, I sold that uh, a couple of months back. I used to do uh, my own big canvas printing, big forty-four inch roll printer. And so I, I printed that thing for a client of mine um, who was giving it as a gift to a client of theirs in Argentina. Mm-hmm. So I printed it actually just as a, as a, as a sheet of, I didn't want to frame it because sending a frame print to Argentina would have cost them a fortune. So I just printed it as a, a flat sheet and rolled it up and put it in a box and I got the guy's address and I sent it down to Argentina. Well, several weeks later, I got a call from my client saying, well, have you sent that thing? Because he hasn't received it yet. I said, no, I, I did send it. I've got the receipt here. I showed it to him. Great. It's, it's on its way. Anyways, long story short, never did get there. And so about seven, eight months later, I had to you know, print another one, give it to him, and he did send it down to him. He got it. But about a year after that I originally printed this picture, I get a notice from Canada Post saying you got a package to pick up. So I go down to the post office and here's this box <laughs> that I had sent to this guy with all these stickers on it of all these places that had been in South America. It had been to this post office, it had been to that <laughs> post office and all these stamps and all this kind of stuff on it. Yeah. But that was kind of cool. So I just put that in my closet for a while. Thought that was an interesting story. And not long after that I got an order for this particular image and that particular size and so i said to the guy on the phone i said look you know i'll give you this print i'll I'll frame it up for you but and i told him the story and i actually wrote it on a piece of paper stuck it on the back of the print and i took all the little stickers off i cut them off and i stuck those on the back so that kind of made part of the story as well so that's cool it's it's a great great shot and and honestly if you wouldn't it's hard to explain, but if you see the picture, you look it up, you'll know what I'm talking about. You almost don't know it's a horse. Like, yeah, that's but, the idea. But, but you also see the, 
the heart of the horse. I don't know. There's, it's hard to explain. It's uh, it, it is yeah. definitely a lot of art involved in that pick. It's uh, yeah. If if you actually see it in large, you'll see that the the hair has been kind of made more sort of painterly, and the 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 only thing that's really in focus is the eye. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah. yeah. Did you know? I'm always curious. When you take a picture, do you know just before you you're like, yeah, that's the one. You, you know, uh, you, you sort of do, but you don't. So here's what happens if you, I, I go out now, um, to, to shoot knowing that I only want one really good image on the day and that's it. That's all I'm asking for. It's just that one solid image. Mm-hmm. So I'll spend a lot of time, you know, looking for certain things and then you, you just shoot a whole bunch of stuff, right? You come back and you literally have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of images, most of them rub the same thing from slightly different angles and so on. And then the one that you may have thought of when you were in the field is not the one that you actually choose. Mm. It's, it's, it, it never works out that way. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have the scene, but you don't have the actual image that, that you want. And it's not until you start playing around with Photoshop to you actually see, ah, that's, this is the winner here. That's, I'm going to spend hours and hours just processing that image to make the final print. I know exactly what you mean. And especially when that light's changing, you're looking for those low light conditions, you know, um, it changes by the second. It really does. It, it depends on where you're at. This scene here was, I think, right out in the open. Um, these horses, I mean, we just, we stopped on the side of the road and they just, they just wandered right up to us on the, and they stayed with us the whole time. It hmm. was, they're, they're such a friendly animal. It's uh, such yeah. a beautiful creature. This is. Yeah. How did you enjoy Iceland? Loved Iceland. I was there for a week as a stopover from Scotland. Um, wow, we had we had experiences there. Holy cow! We stayed with a friend's, um, or sort of my my son-in-law's friend, and um, we got use of their uh, Toyota. Uh, what is it? Their Land Cruiser, and they they let us into their home. They they showed us places that that the average person just would never even know about, and. We just got into some pretty interesting stuff. One night we actually flew or we, we drove up to a small airport uh, where this fellow's friends were putting on a bit of a show. Just These guys are all from Iceland Air and they all own their little private planes. So they were doing a little fly past kind of thing. And um, after about an hour being there, I got a tap on the shoulder from the friend of this one guy. And he says, uh, come on, let's go for a little flight. So I go, oh, really? So... We get into this little um, two-seater, 1950s little uh, plane. I, I, I don't even remember what the heck it was. But the thing was made out of, like, plastic practically. There was, there was, no, there was no hard side. The windows were about as thin as you can, uh, you can get. And it was just that little single stick between your legs. And I could just barely squeeze into this, the back seat. Like, I'm 6'2". So getting into the back of this small plane was, was next to impossible. You had to contort yourself pretty much. And then the, the pilot said, well, don't touch the stick. Well, it's literally right between your legs. I mean, it's like right there, right? And uh, your knees are up against his seat. And we're flying around, you know, north of Reykjavik and, and late in the evening. And and just before we come into land, all of a sudden this, um, I can't remember the name of the plane, but it was a, a French a biplane, like a 40s, 30s airplane. Come, and we're flying in formation together for about 15 minutes. And I got video of this. I get it. It's such an incredible experience, you know, flying low over the ground and doing passovers at the airport. 
this was a, a grass field kind of airport. And everybody's taking pictures of us and videos of us. And I'm taking video of them as they're going by. And, uh, and then uh, we landed and got a chance to fly back to the uh, airport in Reykjavik, the, the international airport, in a Russian yak trainer. Wow. Of all things, uh, which was one of the cooler planes that was there. But hmm. This was an experience. And we got into Reykjavik at about midnight. And then we decided to go for ice cream. <laughs> uh, which is a thing to do there. And I said, uh, I said to the guy, I said, oh, I'll, I'll buy ice cream. There was the three of us. And the guy looked at me and he says, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, why not? He just kind of shrugged his shoulders. Anyways, three ice cream cones, 60 bucks Canadian. Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So Iceland is not cheap. How was the ice <laughs> cream? It was great. <laughs> 60 bucks. Yeah, no, it was, it was nuts. That better be we good went. ice cream. We went for dinner, uh, four of us, and it was six hundred bucks Canadian. Oh, jeez! You know, it's it's not a cheap place to go, but no. uh, definitely worth going. It's it's stunningly beautiful. Any uh, fermented shark? No, but we had some kind of fermented fish, and you can actually get it from their Costco. Hmm. And it it just reeks. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just horrible stuff. I've heard I've heard some stories. Uh, good stuff. So, did you manage to get out fishing while you were there? I mean, I know there's some amazing brown trout. Uh, fisheries up there no but i did i did check out you know you know where there was fishing we just had a week and uh i just really couldn't get there i also wanted to go fishing in scotland but uh that just didn't wasn't wasn't possible hmm. but uh, i will get out there one day we've got karsten arnold on the line today from fine art photographer in the chilliwack british columbia area but uh sounds like he travels all over the planet um check out his artwork Oh, I want to take it back to the water uh, a little bit. Um, paint us a picture. I know you like to take the snapshot, but I want you to paint us a picture of your perfect day. Um, you know, set the scene for us. What kind of water are you fishing? Who are you hanging with? Uh, what's going on? Okay. Um, well, you know, I'm a river guy, so I'll seek out any of the local rivers. Uh, I like hiking into a spot where I can be by myself can't see anyone else i'm i'm not the type like i said who like standing shoulder to shoulder and doing what i call tactical fishing where i have to dodge everyone's lines um being in chilliwack I, i'm by the chilliwack better river system and uh, it could be like that at times it's pretty pretty busy there but i'll um if it is busy i'll i'll find some remote place i like hiking in to a, a spot really deep um i don't mind hiking for an hour to get into a place somewhere where there's just like really just nobody there. Um, you know, the, the problem is of course the, the Chilliwack being closer to a big city or community, you'll, you'll find a lot of people, but if you try hard enough, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to find, or it is easy to find a, a spot now and then. Um, yeah, I'll just, uh, once I get to a spot, I just like to peruse the area. I, I like to kind of, uh, hunt if you will. So, I need to find exactly where, where the fish are going to be before I even try. Like I'll sneak up to the river. I'll, uh, I'll see, well, where's that, you know, where's that pool? Where's that line? Where are they going to be sitting? So I'll study the river for a little while before I actually just start throwing a line in. And I'll start looking around for, you know, the local uh, insect life, seeing what's out there. And then I'll usually wind up putting on a woolly bugger <laughs> or <laughs> Copper John. <laughs> um, after all, my fly. I mean, those are my go-tos, right? Uh, those yeah. are my searching patterns, it seems like. Um, you know, I used to use Royal Coachman all the time for, you know, my searching patterns. But I've kind of switched over to the stuff that I've been tying lately. And, and 
So I'll, I'll go with that. But uh, is there anything then cold to drink at the end of the day, or warm to drink, or? Yeah, I always bring a thermos of tea with me. There's nothing like uh, a nice warm tea on a on a on a cold river if it's if it's chilly out in the morning or it's uh, you know in the fall or something. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't usually bring a, a cold one with me, uh, not unless I'm with a bunch of guys or something and we're celebrating a whole bunch of fish that we caught or a great day on the river. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's usually something warm, and uh, I, I like the solitude. You know, even if I'm fishing with another fella uh, or a group of guys, I just kind of still like to let them sort of go down or upstream and uh, sort of find my own patch of water. For me, fishing is a state of mind, right? It's it's a thing that you just get into. It's it's like art. It's it's like you know, it could be like uh, just any other hobby where you really have to concentrate on something. I just let everything go. I don't think about anything other than what I'm working on and and just trying to find that fish in the river. It's it's a good way to clear your mind i i really enjoy just being on my own uh, and just in, enjoying nature and quite often i'll 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 do bird watching actually as i'm as i'm fly fishing oh what the, look there's a merganser coming down or mm-hmm. oh, look there's an osprey you know he's going to come down and he's going to catch something over there or there's a kingfisher or something or look at that little dipper mm-hmm. so, you know those little american dippers that you yeah. know start chattering up and they'll just they'll literally just come right between your legs sometimes look under the water looking for critters under there I just enjoy that sort of thing. It's just peaceful. We were on a lake the other day, and I'm trying to remember the name of the bird. It's very colorful, uh, small, kind of in the, not a warbler, but it's, uh, oh, son of a gun. Oh, a tan, tanager, tanager? Tan, tanager, yeah. Holy mm-hmm. mackerel, they were pretty birds. They are, yeah. They're the red ones and uh, red heads and the yellow bottoms on them, I think. Yeah. Look yellow like, breast on them. Colored like a parrot. And I, yeah, they I, are I very cool. I don't see them very often, but um, man, beautiful. I was just recently, um, I did a, a sort of a pre-trip. Uh, I'll talk about that in a bit, uh, my big trip up north. Um, the uh, Mosin Pond up in the Bridge Valley, Bridge River Valley area, which is north of Pemberton and Whistler and west of Lillooet. Mm-hmm. Kind of hard to get in there. Uh, There's a, a dirt road that goes through. Uh, sort of remote towards Braylarn Goldbridge area. And I'm fishing on uh, Mosin Pond there, and uh, a Barrow's Goldeneye comes by. And these are ducks that you, you, you can't miss them. When they fly by, their wings whistle. I mean, it's a real whistling sound. And he's coming right in, and then the, the beavers, as a beaver family, is swimming in front of me. And here I am by myself in this camp. There's nobody there. It was, this was in mid May just this year. And uh, that was just like a stunningly beautiful location. I'm I'm a river guy, but hey, you know if there's if there's fish jumping in a lake, uh, you know I'll, I'll throw some in there and, and uh, try. I didn't get anything, but I did on another smaller lake close by, Kingdom Lake, I think it was. Nice. Just teeming with small rainbows in there. That was kind of fun. You know what birds I love watching, and and I never get too close to them because they're fairly shy. But those ruddy ducks, they got those electric oh, yeah. blue bills. Yeah, yeah, those are those are cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the loons are by all the time. I I really enjoy that. Um, that's that's the beauty of fishing on the lakes for sure. You get the loons all the time. Well, and those we call them howler monkeys, but I know they're coots. <laughs> they're the, the coots and the kind of the bulrushes in the backs of all the lakes. They, it sounds like you're yeah. in a jungle or something. Yeah, actually, yeah. I've I've had howler monkeys jumping on my uh, little um, cabin when I was in Costa Rica. They're quite funny. Hmm. They're 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 hilarious monkeys for sure, 
and they do howl. They're they're just they sound horrible. It's like a dog in heat or something. I don't know what it is. They're just, but they they come in these troops and they they literally just will jump all over your cabin roof and huh. they're the funniest creatures. Wow. Do you do any fishing in Costa Rica when you're down there? Um, I did not fish in Costa Rica. I did go fishing in uh, Rarotonga and the Cook Islands, which is just off the coast of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Did that a number of years ago. We went uh, fishing for tuna. And okay. man, that was fun. Um, I was basically throwing up for four hours. <laughs> that <laughs> that boat was tossing. We should not have been out on the ocean in that small boat. But uh, <laughs> we did catch some tuna. That was a lot of fun. So, Have you had anything, Karsten, that was weird or wonderful that happened in your time fishing you know there's we've always got crazy fish stories but is there anything that comes to mind that uh you know you might go wow this was a weird day yeah um actually it was a couple years ago i was fishing on the mamquam river in the squamish area just heading uh, north of vancouver towards whistler i was fishing one morning on the river there and it was, a, it was a gorgeous day. It was early in the morning. And uh, I see all these seals were coming up the river because they, they come up out of the ocean. They come up into the Squamish River and then they come into the Mamquam, which is very narrow sort of at its opening. Um, and they, they came in there. So I'm watching these these uh, seals and I thought that was kind of cool. And As I'm fishing away, I saw this huge fish. It was a salmon. I'm pretty sure the salmon was coming like right towards my feet. And then all of a sudden it stuck its head up out of the water, looked at me, and it was a little seal. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I mean, it freaked me out. It's like five feet in front of me. And it just sitting there looking at me (laughs) like, who who are you? It was just, I mean, it's kind of a surreal place when you're fishing in a river and you get seals coming out. And uh, though there was a bear across the river at the time as well, I mean, I, and there was eagles up, it's, it's like going to a zoo, right? And the whole day was kind of like that, where there's these creatures just all over the place. Uh, there was cool. deer, and there was bear, and then there's this, you see seals all day long, and that was uh, that was quite an interesting day for sure. Well, there must have been a lot of fish in the area to have that many seals. And there are lots of trout, and there's yeah. a lot of salmon in that part of the river for sure. Hmm. Good stuff. Well, I, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the program. It was great catching up with you. And uh, I, I tell you what, I'm going to, uh, this will probably air this, this weekend, actually. Um, oh, cool. So if you got a, if you got a picture you'd like me to use, um, whether it's you and a fish or just something you want to um, post, we'll use that on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. I appreciate that. There's actually one thing that I wanted to mention. I, I did yeah. mention is this big trip that I'm doing. And, oh, yeah. Um, um, mm-hmm. I'm going on a 10-week, 12,000-kilometer, 50-plus river fishing trip up to the Arctic. Wow. And I'm leaving in August. So, yeah, I've been working on this for quite a while, and I'm pretty excited about that. So. Now, how, how do you even begin to plan something like that? You, <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah, that's that's a big one. You got to figure out where you're where you're going to go first of all. So I, I that was the first thing. I spent probably several months just planning the exact route that I wanted to go. Now I've traveled. Uh, I would say literally ninety nine point five percent of the, the major highways in BC and almost all the highways in the Yukon. Now on this trip, I want to make sure that I get that other half a percent 
of the roads I have not been on. So I planned my route so that I can take these little extra side roads just to say that I've done 100% of the, hmm. the, the major highways and secondary highways in BC. And a lot of those places happen to be by some pretty interesting rivers to fish in. So um, I started making a, a spreadsheet of all the, the the locations, exactly where I was going to be, when, which rivers I was going to fish in, you know, where I was going to camp, how many hours a day I'm going to be driving. And um, I, I made it so that I can actually pick up my brother. He's flying in from Winnipeg to Whitehorse. He's going to meet me there after a month of me winding my way up to the Yukon. And then we're from there, we're going to go up to uh, Dawson City. And then from there, we're going to head up to the the, the, uh, the Dempster Highway hmm. to Inuvik and Tuktoyaktuk right on the Arctic Ocean. And there's a lot of rivers to fish in that area, rivers and creeks that I probably are unnamed. Uh, as soon as I see a body of water that's flowing, I'm stopping to fish it. <laughs> it's as simple I, as that. And, and I'm going to record all of it. It's going to be on my YouTube channel. It's 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 going to be there. So. You know what? When you get back from that, why don't we touch base? Because I'd love to do a show on it and uh, and hear all about it. That sounds great. Uh, the YouTube channel is, I just actually changed the name of that the other day. It is Capture Real Adventure. Real as in the fishing reel. Got it. Uh, I would imagine uh, Arctic grayling, maybe some Arctic char, maybe some lake trout. And uh, actually some northern pike as well. There is a couple lakes around um, it's around the Muncho Lake area that I want to get into. Hmm. And I think Muncho Lake might even have some northerns in it as well. So, And coming from Manitoba, I'm used to catching northerns. So yeah. Looking forward to that for sure. Good stuff. Well, well, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, let's catch up after this trip and uh, find out how you made out. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to the next show. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Karsten Arnold out of Chilliwack, British Columbia, fine art photographer. Check out his uh, work. Thanks for uh, tuning in this time around. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com. <laughs>